This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, thank you. And we've already had church. Exciting to see people give their heart to Jesus, so way to go, you who brought those ones here. We applaud you. Well, we are on our second week on servanthood, and the Bible has a great, great deal to teach each one of us about it. So if you need a Bible, once you get your hand up real, real high, and then once you get a Bible, go with me to Psalm 92, the 92nd Psalm. And, you know, God has always been more concerned about my heart than my activities. It's not just what I do, but why do I do it? And if it was just about performance or activities, even the, the Pharisees probably would have been in the Faith Hall of Fame, and they're not. And so according to Ephesians 6.6, 6, God, he, he said, don't be eye-pleasers. Don't live with eye-service. Men-pleasers. Don't do the thing to get the applaud of man, the attention to yourself. One translation says to put on the apron of humility. And so when you begin to see self-promotion and servanthood, they never mix. They never go together that I'm either going to live for the applause of man or the applause of God. And so today, I believe the scriptures are really, really going to help us in this area. Go with me to Psalm 92. Let's begin in verse 12. The righteous, the uncompromising, shall flourish. They shall prosper like a palm tree. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied a palm tree... But a palm tree is known for long life. It's solid, it's strong, it's immovable. You know, I'd seen a, an area that had been hit by a hurricane one time, and everything was completely wiped out. And right in the middle of the picture, there's a big palm tree that's standing. And so that's the significance of a palm tree. It's long. It's a long life. He ends in verse 12 and says, He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedars in Lebanon were stable and they were durable. Now, watch real close to the wordings that the writer talks about here in verse 13. Those who are, in, are planted in the house of the Lord, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall flourish in service to our God. They shall bear fruit in old age, those who are planted in the house of God. And, and because their life was so long that they give, uh, get to give their experiences of life in serving. Just year after year after year. And he goes on to say, They shall be fresh and flourishing, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. For What for? To declare the Lord, that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and as there is no unrighteousness in him. So the, the thought of this verse is right here is those who are planted in the house of the Lord. So again, he gives me insight. i got to get planted in the house of God. And God's the one who ordained the church. Man didn't ordain the church. God ordained the church. And he said in, in Matthew 16, 18, And I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Jesus said, and I'll build my church. Now the question arises then, how can Jesus build his church physically without him being here? You know how he does it? Through me and you. We become his hands. We become his feet. Remember a week ago we talked that Jesus literally tells us, you finish what I started. 
And I will tell you this, there is not a perfect place, a perfect church, or a perfect pastor. Now, I'm pretty close to perfect. I've blown it about 20 times already this morning, okay? I understand that, and that's where we get in trouble. We look for perfect things. There are no perfect things. But we are a group of redeemed people that God has graced us to live and to serve together. And it's about serving and being served. Now, you may hear me say this several times today, but you don't fluke a good marriage and you don't fluke a good church. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at a couple passages today of the Apostle Paul, and he will give me and you incredible insight on what's expected to us of us in the areas of servanthood. Because each one of us are called to serve, and you may say, not me. And, and as you're turning there, think about all the different people in that video we just watched. Is one of them you? Probably. There's years of my life where a lot of those were me. And it's very easy to live with those same thoughts, even though I can't live that way. God's got other thoughts. Philippians 4, verse 11, And he himself, the Lord Jesus, he gave gifts, some to apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did Jesus give those gifts? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. The word equipping there means a making fit, a preparing, a training, a perfecting. Fully qualified for service. One translation for equipping means it's talking about enabling you to function. And so part of the reason that God gave the, the gifts was to begin to equip each one of us for a kingdom function. What does that mean? We'll keep reading and he'll fill in the blanks here. For the equipping of the saint, for the work of the ministry. The Amplified says they should do the work of the ministry. Now again, I've got to understand the word ministry. The definition of ministry is a servant and the definition of a servant is ministry. So they're synonyms. They go hand in hand. And he ends in this and he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edifying means building up. For the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so every one of us in here are to be equipped for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse number 13. And as you begin to watch this here in verse 13, 14, and 15, these are all progressions or developments that each one of us need to walk through. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Now, when it says the perfect man, it's talking about a mature man. God wants every one of us in this room to progress into maturity as a believer. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children. Again, spiritually, he doesn't want us to remain children. I mean, we understand the progression or the development physically. That never any of us were, were to be babies our whole life. No, we keep growing and we keep maturing in the natural but even spiritually, he said, I don't want you to be children. 
Why? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. So the second one is he wants us to become stable. A progression of stability in my life that I'm not slung over here and I'm not slung over there by the latest and greatest word that comes out. And he ends in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Can we do that? Yeah. We need to speak the truth in love. Now, here's the problem with doing that. You go back to the old movie with Tom Cruise and, and uh, Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson said, or Tom Cruise says, give me the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. But we've got to get to a place in our life where I say, you know what? I want the truth, just like he's talking about. So he says, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. And so literally, the last one is, we go from maturity to stability to being men and women of integrity. Why is this so important? Look at the end here in verse 16. From whom the whole body, the Amplified says, the church in all its various parts, joined and knit together by what? Every, every, every joint supplies, every joint, according to the effective working by which every, every part does it share. The Amplified says, is working properly in all its functions. So every one of us in here, we've got a part. And every one of us got a share in here. And it's just not for the effective working of the ministry, but it's also that we are energetic, we're excited, we're filled with a passion with what we're doing. And the end result in verse 16 is, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what he's talking about here is we all have a part to play, but we function in different ways. We're not all going to be good at the same thing. Thank God. He has variety within each one of us, and he wants to use us. Now, to understand this a little more, go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. So we begin to see right there, we're to be planted in the house of God, and then I have a part to play in the house of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's, it's not about just being served, but it's about serving. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. He's talking about the physical body. So also is Christ. Each part has a specific function. Now, Paul compares the body of Christ to the human body. Right there is what he just did. And we all can think about the human body. That each part has a specific function. The problem when we get into the body of Christ is there's two areas that we need to learn to avoid. Number one, there's many people that have the the thought that my gift is the gift above everybody else's. I'm more valuable. I'm more important. You've got to have me. And we become living divas is what we become. And in my opinion, those are people that overestimate themselves. The other area that causes great problem is just the opposite. Instead of overestimate myself, I underestimate myself. 
And we have the thought, I can't do anything. I don't have anything to give. I'm not good at anything. You are good at something. Everybody in this room is good at something. Now, the book of, of Second, or Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it has a little nugget in there. It says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It, it's the little foxes. It's the little things we do in life on a daily basis that make us or break us. It's the little things that we do in life that are the spices of life. And so oftentimes what happens is when people do little acts, these little acts are something that others wouldn't do or they wouldn't even think about doing. But they're little bitty acts, but they are so significant to the flow of the church. Let me give you a little illustration of what took place already this morning. Every one of us in this room that took or partook of the communion elements this morning, you were given a little piece of bread and you were given a cup. Did any of you in this room, if you're truthful, did you have one thought about, I wonder where that bread came from and I wondered who filled those little cups with juice. Did any of you in here wonder that? Man, bless you. There's some of you who really did. Bless on there. Some of you are lying. You put your hand up like, I'm just kidding. I usually don't think about stuff like that. There's a lady who's in our first service for the last 10 years. Every time we partake of the communion elements, that bread you ate was fixed just this morning. That was some homemade stuff. That's why some of you are saying, I think I want seconds of that. Actually, Pastor Jimmy, if there's any left, he usually takes it home. I'm serious, don't you? It's that good. He takes the communion elements. but She prepares that on a, on, on a basis every time we do it. And you sit there and look, most people don't even know she's doing it. But what would have happened this morning if the ushers would have handed out the bread tray and there wouldn't have been nothing in there? You know what our thought would have been? Someone dropped the ball. Someone didn't do their job. But yet it's so little, but it's so important also. And then when it comes to filling the juice up, those juice cups don't get filled on their own. And can I tell you, I don't do it. But I know the guy who does, or one of the guys who does. And anytime we serve communion, he'll come strolling in the back here, oh, about 7.45, and he'll walk back there. And when they shoot the juice in there, it's one cup at a time. You do 700 of those, you get dizzy. But he does it, and no one even knows it's Cliff Janani. And I know there's other ushers have done it before. So again, it's these little things that we do or don't do that make us or break us. It's the little things in marriage that we do or don't do. It's the same thing with the function of the church. So we keep reading, and watch how easy Paul makes this. Verse 13. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit baptized us into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So we're composed of many different types of people, many different backgrounds, whether Jew or Gentile, free or slave. And so what happens is this group of variety, we become the body of Christ. We become what Jesus wants us to do and be desired for his heart. 
And so he goes on to read here, and he says in verse 14, For in fact, the body is not one member, but it's many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Does not make it any less? Now think about that for a minute. The foot doesn't look at the hand and say, you're a no need. you got to have each other. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What, would that make it any less? No. To me, each one's just as important. And if you don't think so, why don't you get a roll of duct tape this afternoon and tape your ears up? Just see what would happen. And if you don't think the eye's that important, why don't you put a couple patches on there and walk around this afternoon for a little bit? You find out real quick, we need them both. See, it's the same in the body of Christ. And so when I read this, his analogies are so simple. But many times we overlook them. He goes on to say in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, we'd be up a creek. No, that's not what it says. It's if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So he's just telling us again the significance of each body part. But now, God has set. God has set. Not man. God has set the members, each one of them of the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, or in fact, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, he didn't say they are weaker. He said they seem to be weaker. They're not. And to go without this little pinky, all my shoes would be slip-ons. You'd have to learn to teach yourself to retie things. And so oftentimes you look at this little thing and we look and think, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that valuable. But it's huge, this little thing is. Verse 22, verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, we think to be, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. He says, man, that's the part that I really want to play honor to. Verse 25. That there should be no schemes or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. We should have the same exact care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member's honored, all the members rejoice with it. It's a thing called interdependence. And interdependence is difficult to develop in our culture because our culture likes to insist on its own way. It's all about me. But when I really live with interdependence, we learn to appreciate the uniqueness of each one. We learn to say, man, they add this and they add that. Look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts, chapter 6. See, we've got to have each other. And when I read this, it's not just to attend the church. It's actually to be the church. 
We're his hands, we're his feet. And if you remember last week, Jesus literally told me and you, you finish what I started. However that looks in your life. And again, I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I'm just showing you the significance of what the Apostle Paul said. How we're all needed. And when one part doesn't do its share, the whole body functions. or It hurts the function. Acts 6 verse 1. Now in those days when the, the, the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distributions. Now, I, I really enjoy reading that there because this was the church of Acts and this church had incredible success. And we look at that church and we think, Man, it must have been a perfect church. It must have been a perfect people. But it wasn't perfect because right here, they're having some internal problems. There's some internal fighting going on right here. It wasn't a perfect church. Now, you who think you're perfect, let me ask you you a little question here. If there was a perfect church, would you be asked to be a member It's a great question, Pastor. If there was a perfect church, I would be out already. (laughs) Out. So again, right here, maybe the greatest church in the history, it had internal problems. And what the problem was, was the Greek-speaking believers, they were mad against the Hebrew-speaking believers, and they said, they're discriminating against these widows. They're not taking care of these widows. And so when I look at that, you know, some people say, well, that's not a real big deal. So what if the widows get taken care of or not? But the Bible's very clear. True religion is to take care of widows and orphans. So in God's eyes, it's a big deal to take care of children and widows. Now watch how this plays out here, verse 2. Then the twelve, the original twelve apostles... They summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the original twelve looked at these others and said, The best thing for us is to not serve tables. It's to stay in the word. And so you look at that and you think, Well, who do these guys think they are? Did they think they were better than everybody else? Just keep reading and it'll play out. Verse 3. Therefore, brethren... Seek or select out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business, who we may appoint over this ministry. Now, this becomes real interesting if you really look into this, because the serving of the widows was not taken lightly at all. If you look at the requirements there, he said, I want men of character, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. He didn't say, hey, we need a few volunteers. We got some old widows down there today. We need to take care of them today. No, it wasn't played lightly. It was a big, big deal right here. It was ministry. And the reason they needed character is because character, I'll do what's right when no one's looking. I'll do what's right all the time. And so literally the character part here is, 
you signed up to take care of the widows, then do what you said. And so right here he said, we need seven men full of character, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. Committed to serve. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. Whatever a man sows. So these guys were going to sow into the ministry of taking care of these widows. Galatians 6, 9 says, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. So I keep sowing good seed even when it's difficult. And then we read Galatians 6, uh, 10 last week. And it says, do good to all people, but especially to those who are the house of God. So literally right here, these seven are, getting, are beginning to sow seed into an area of their life. Verse 5. Verse 4. Back up. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so it wasn't like they were saying, we're up here and we're down, you're down here. If you remember about the original 12, in Luke 9, these were the same men for three years. They served Jesus. They were the ones when he fed the 5,000, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. You distribute the food to them. You pick up the leftovers. And so these original 12 right here, they didn't start out that way. They started out with hearts of servants themselves. Verse 5. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte or a convert from Antioch. Now, the reason I want to read this here to you is there's some things that you'll begin to see with these seven. So they picked these seven. Now watch what happens in verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they lay hands on them. Now think about this. These seven men they pick, they weren't going to be involved in any platform ministry. They weren't pastors. They weren't praise and worship leaders. They were going to serve the widows. But the original 12 realized how significant and how important that was that they set them before the 12 and the 12 came in and laid hands on them. And when the 12 laid hands on them, that was literally them ordaining them and then shifting the responsibility and the authority and servanthood on those seven. And it was a big deal. I think at times we've missed in this area. But it doesn't matter what you do. If you serve the widows, if you're part of children's ministry, if you're part of youth ministry, if you're an usher, if you're a greeter, if you're a parking lot attendant, whatever. You're part of the function of the body of Christ. And just like these guys, they were set apart. They were anointed. It was serious. Now when I go back to verse 5, there's one guy right there in the middle of that named Philip. In Acts 21, you don't have to go there with me, you can if you want. Acts 21, verse 8. Listen to this passage about Philip. On the next day, we who were, were with Paul's companions, we departed and we came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, 
who was one of the seven. He was chosen to distribute to the widows, and he stayed with him. Now, the only thing I didn't do is I didn't look how many years it passed from it was Philip, the guy who served the widows, to Philip the evangelist. But I can tell you this, it was years, plural. Why do I want to highlight that? Because Philip started out as a servant. And this was crucial to his calling. That I must learn to serve. I must develop and mature in the area of serving before God moves me on. And again, it goes back to this. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. How about put this way? What you make happen for other people, God will make happen for you. And too many times, I believe this, that we see it over and over, that too many people's gifts exceed their character. In other words, they jump in and they think, I'm the man of the hour with power. I've got all this greatness, but they have no character. And when they have no character, they end up causing huge problems within the church. But before I do something extraordinary, something big, why don't I just start with the ordinary? And do something little. And this is the process here that you're not going to jump the gun. I don't care who you are. Did you jump the gun, Pastor? No. I served for 20 years of my life. And I loved it. I started out speaking to fifth and sixth year, or fifth and sixth graders. And I remember there was a, a year that this one little boy never knew my name. Every time he'd grab me by the pant, he'd say, hey, mister. Hey, mister. Hey, mister, I'd see him in church and he'd say, hey, mister. I love ministering to those little guys. I love being around the little kids back then. And it was, pro it, was, it was process, it was development, even in my own life, that I didn't jump the gun. And so don't jump the gun. Just get in there and serve. And so look at the end result of what takes place here in verse 7. Then the word of God spread. This is what this is all about. We want every person to hear the word of God, the good news. Children, youth, adults. And the number of the disciples multiplied. It didn't add, it multiplied. Greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. See, this is what happens when every part and every joint does it share? And it's not about one individual. One will put a thousand to flee. Two will put ten thousand. You see what happens when everybody gets involved. And I'm not telling you what to do. You follow your own heart. And I'm not guilting you. I'm letting the word of God show you. You're valuable. You're needed. Now I got one more scripture to go. Look with me in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and there's so many in this church that, that serve faithfully. You know, we got a guy in the first service who I know on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights when he's not in this auditorium, I know where he's at. He's upstairs with the children. You know how many children he has in our children's ministry? Zero. Do you know what he says? I want to invest in them. I want to love those kids. 
And many times I see moms and, and, and one serving our nurseries and they just hold the babies. And you guys do so good at that. I don't do good with babies. I'm telling you, if, if you see me in the nursery, ooh, you better start praying. Because I'm going to pull your kids out. I'm not going to touch a diaper. I don't do those things anymore. I like those things. But some of you, you're incredible at it. You got that touch. Again, well, that doesn't mean, but yeah, it does. It's huge. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed or embarrassed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. It's interesting words right there that Paul called himself the prisoner of the Lord. But share with me in the suffering for the gospel. And anybody that lives with a loyalty to Jesus, you're going to suffer some things, okay? The farther this thing goes along called earth, the more you're going to suffer. But look how he ends in verse 8. According to the power of God. And so it'll be okay. You may suffer some things. God's going to help you. He's going to get you through. Verse 9. Who saved us and he called us. He saved us and he called us with a holy calling. The message says he first saved us and then he called us to this holy work. And so you weren't just saved. You were called. And two things are certain. Number one is this. Jesus is going to come back. And in saying that, in two weeks, two weeks from this Sunday, we're going to start a new series called The Last Raw." It's all on end time stuff. You'll want to be here, I promise you. It will change the way you view the time we live in. The second thing that I can guarantee you is you're saved for reasons beyond your own salvation. In other words... He didn't just save me to save me. He didn't just save me to for look, so I can look at everybody and say, man, I made it. I made, millions didn't make it, but I was one of the ones who did. I made it. No, again, if that was the thought of God, the minute you got saved, he would have got you off this earth. But he said he saved you and he called you. So salvation is about a connection to Jesus, but a calling is about serving Jesus. And he tells me and you right here, I saved you and I called you. It's not about serve us, it's about serving. And he ends this and he says, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a calling for you. And salvation isn't the ending point, it's the beginning point. And I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. You know, Jane Worth, who was in our first service, Jane is a little over 75 now. And she said, Pastor, physically, I can't do the things I used to do. But she said, you know what she said? She said, you know what I can do? You give me people that are going through hard times in this church. You give me people's names who hadn't been coming to church. You give me their names and their phone numbers. And she said, I'll call them and I'll encourage them. 
See, again, we would look at that and think, that's huge. That's big. And see, God's got a part for every one of us. And if I'm not serving, I'm just existing. I'm part of the body of Christ and so are you. But I've got to find a place to serve. And I get in there and I become faithful and I do those things that are needed of me and asked of me. And I do it with character and I do it with integrity. And I'll end with this. In the book of Luke chapter 15, there's a passage about the the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the one who got away from the things of God and he left. And he lived prodigal or wasteful living is what it meant. And when he's living among the pigs, he came to himself and he said, I got to go back to my father's house. This is all Luke 15. And when he got back to his father's house, he said this to the father. He said, make me into a great servant. He didn't say, make me into a great king. Make me into a, a great businessman. Make me to, he said, make me into a great servant. I don't know if that's ever been a prayer in your life. But it needs to be all our prayers to say, Lord, I want to be a servant of yours. I want to serve you in any capacity to change lives here on earth. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.